If you're a Star Trek fan, you should listen to Inglorious Trexperts, the ultimate Star Trek podcast for sci-fi fans with a life. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, co-host of Inglorious Trexperts. If you're a Star Trek fan who thinks you know everything about the history of Star Trek, check out my best-selling two-volume oral history of Star Trek from St. Martin's Press, The 50-Year Mission, available wherever books, digital, and audiobooks are sold. Disco Nights fans, it's Chase Masterson, and we are back with an all-new episode of Disco Nights, and the final episodes, finally, of Star Trek Discovery. We are so excited to be able to talk with you guys about this epic part two-parter season finale, and with me, I am thrilled to have our guests today. We've got on my left, Jeff Bond, who is the editor of Geek Magazine, also has written The World of the Orville Narcos and the fantasy worlds of Erwin Allen. The fantasy worlds of Erwin Allen. That's one to watch for, definitely. We've got Anthony Pascal, who is creator or founder of TrekMovie.com. Welcome back, Anthony. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. And on my right, Alexandra August, who has written for Screen Rant, Comic Book Resources, and is the host of The Disco Nights Pod. and Disco Trek. Oh, the dis- oh, I'm sorry. This the is di- the Disco... The disco- nice oh, <laughs> Hi, Chase. <laughs> you are the host. I'm the host of Dis... Whatever, yeah. Okay, let's start again. And on my right, we have Alexandra August, who is the host of The Disco Trek and Got Thrones Podcasts and a writer whose byline you will see everywhere. Welcome back, Alexandra. So good to be back. Thank you for being here. So we have got so much happening in this season finale the two-parter it was going to be one episode and then they found out they realized that it was just so epic they couldn't possibly fit all of the storylines they wanted to wrap up into into uh, one episode so this was re- uh, directed by Olatunde Osunsami who has done most of our favorite episodes of this season a very very busy man written by Alex Kurtman with Kurtzman with Michelle Paradise Jenny Lumet Kirsten Beyer and Sean Cochran what you guys think there's so much to wrap up here and so much epic bravery. Um, all I can say is I hope this cast and crew and especially the VFX artists are have had a wonderful vacation after, after I, I, this one. Yeah, I mean, it was a, epic is certainly the word. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. it's the longest, most drawn out battle in Star Trek history, film or television, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, even some of those major DS9 episodes where... You know, the Dominion's attacking, you know, it's still nothing like that. Um, and certain, all the visual effects were mm. outstanding. Yeah. And um, you really got the scale, like, you really, really could feel how terrifying and how difficult Burnham's journey was when she's in the suit and she's literally like flying through space in open combat. Iron Man Burnham. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was I'm on girl. I know that Star Trek is not like one of the distinguishing factors of Star Trek is that it is not a space opera and these are not these action sequences are not typical of the show and my co-host actually Johnny Kolzinski really didn't care for this episode because of that. He's kind of adamant about how that's not what he comes to Trek for. Um I actually really 
I'm fine with it once in a while. And I thought this was good event television. I so. mean, come on. It's the season finale. And it is filled with some incredibly dynamic relationships. Yeah. That, which is what we go to Trek for. I think this episode, these had it all. Yeah. And it's, the time travel bits were amazing, too. Just the way that they, the way they, they rendered that visually when she's going and setting the signals and doing all that kind of stuff was just really, really fascinating. And, of course, the final sequence of Discovery just... But actually discovering something and boldly going mm. into the future, God knows where. And it's, yeah, I don't know what to expect from it, but I'm... Is it, now, this is further into the future than even Star Trek has gone, correct? Well, the, the, they obviously went to Memory Alpha and they said, what is <gasps> the f- w- what is the last point of Star Trek feature history? Because even though, so the Picard show is going to be at the end of the 24th century, but other shows have talked about the future and shown bits of the future, like Voyager. Enterprise did for sure. With the Enterprise time, yeah. had the whole temporal Cold War, um, and Voyager had the USS Relativity. So they they had glimpses of the future have been seen. The Enterprise F, and what they did is they they kind of mapped all that out and they said, okay, all those things took place in the twenty fifth, twenty sixth, twenty seventh. Like screw all that. We're going past the temporal Cold War into the thirty second century, so that we know nothing about what happens at this point. We don't right. even know if the Federation exists. Right. There's some indications it doesn't. And we are flying under the radar. So um, they don't even obviously they don't they, know. Yeah, they I mean they obviously, you know, they backed they knew that that was the last moment of the finale and they wrote a season to get there. Yeah. And it didn't matter what happened during the season, that was going to happen. Well, I think it mattered, but it just you was, know what I mean. there's, they, they, that was the goal. They reverse engineered a season to get the ship into, well, Alex said, we knew we were either going to go back or forward, but there's not a lot of room back. Right. So forward they go. And yeah. um, once they made that decision, all other decisions were to serve that. Right. Forward they go, but not altogether. There's been a lot of cost. Um, I was very, very sad to see the Admiral go. I really loved Cornwall. Yeah. Um, I think that was... I love her, and I thought that was a beautiful moment, but this was definitely an episode where I, like, my kind of perennial complaint with this show is that it just lacks connective tissue, and they have these amazing moments, like Cornwall's death, but I was just like... Everything felt a little bit unearned. As much as I enjoyed the experience of watching it most of the time, it was just also like, I was like, she, wait, really? You're going to, that doesn't, I don't know. It just didn't. Um, well, re- remember we talked in a, I don't know if it was, we talked about part one a while ago, mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, so Cornwell's on the Enterprise. It's like, well, why, why is she on the Enterprise? <laughs> and, and I said, there's, yeah, there's only two possible reasons. One is she's going with them to the future. The only reason she was there in part one is because they knew that they had to do something with her in part two. And I think this this kind of shows you how decisions get made in Discovery. They're like, okay, epic battle. We need to show the cost of the battle. Someone's got to die. Who's going to die? They looked at the list of characters and they're like, well, we could kill Tyler. That would make sense. That would have poetry to it. But we want to use him in the Section 31 show. No. Giorgio, we've already signed her up for that one. Can't kill her. Can't kill the main people. <laughs> Who's under contract? We can't kill can't them. Can't kill Pike. Can't Giorgio kill Spock. on the Discovery when yeah, it goes into the future? Like, what? Yeah, really she's, yeah that's a whole just other... retcon it and is... just have her like, oops, no, she's on their prize. Uh, she beamed away at the last this, moment. This or if they're just going to like find a way to get her back. Somebody argued with me on Twitter about like how she could get back in time. And I was like, well, she got to the 
future. She just needs to find a time crystal and Kirk jerk it. She's fine. And nothing surprises me with but Giorgio that's anymore. That's why they killed. They had someone. You can't have a battle like that and have no one die because you need to show the cost, right. Of and, and the, the sacrifice. World. That is true. And yeah. so someone has to go, and there weren't a lot of people to go. If you really think, I mean, they could have killed, you know, like one of the crew members, like Owo, or you know, Detmer. she was the closest one to our hearts that they could let go in this way, and, and, and she, yeah, in that, and it was an incredibly noble death, and, and they did it through sacrifice. But then once again, the show, so, so I'm like, that's fine, do it through sacrifice is fine. But then the way they did it, the mechanism of doing it, it's like, it, one line of dialogue would have fixed this, which is. Um, the, you know, you had the torpedo, and they're like, if the door doesn't come down, the ships. They, they just they should have just said something like, you know, a plasma conduit is running through that wall behind that door because it makes no sense that like close that little door and you save the ship, keep the door open. I mean, that makes. It's like also isn't like the whole why is there a head on the inside? Yeah, like yeah. why is that door? There was something the door. about so the uh, this was written by Alex Kurtzman. I mean, among other people, but it had a and very it was a very Alex Kurtzman like uh, you know this was there's always some uh, yin and yang between you know the J.J. Abrams movies universe and and the Star Trek TV universe and Kurtzman obviously bestrides those worlds like a colossus and lives in both yeah. of those worlds. Um, He's got such so a wonderful grasp. When I start watching this gigantic space battle, it's just like this is very, very Alex Kurtzman in that there's not there's a lot of, of nods to things in Star Trek, but it's also like uh, what would be the coolest, you know, version of Star Trek that we can show with all these these visual effects and what kind of you know that we have the running along the walls fight scene action which is from that uh, rotisserie in, in Star wow. Trek in, into darkness yeah um She's but this this torpedo the, the one thing that d- just drove me nuts about this episode is this torpedo thing and I'm the, there's something called a rivet counter uh, it, it's a. Uh, this is, I think, in the world of my tiny little world of scale modeling, where uh, <laughs> if you make a little replica of a ship and you don't get every rivet right on it, there's somebody who's going to point that out, right. and that those and people that are very annoying. I'm not normally one of those kind of people, but, but when I was watching this, and the, we see this torpedo lodged in the hull of the Enterprise, which. If you're looking at, and th- th- this Enterprise is supposed to be bigger than the one we saw in the original series. So this is at least like 1,500 feet, 2,000 feet long. And we have the disc of this ship, and you see this torpedo, and it seems to be maybe about a fifth the the length of right. the... Right, it's huge. Yeah, it's yes. like this thing's like at least 100 feet long. But then, and in sort of the, you know, Star Trek history, it's Forto and Torpedo is supposed to be like the size of this table because you can put Spock in, okay, so inside it and it, bearing it. something wasn't it, to scale. It, we see it, yeah. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. But again, it was Let's a small it, it, torpedo. It, yeah, and it's, but it's, it's done clearly... So you can say, oh, there's the torpedo. Oh, I see. There's a torpedo <laughs> in the ship. It's done for a, a visual reason. And there's a lot of this in the Star Trek movies. It's like when Spock sees 
you know, he's on Delta Vega, a planet arguably in a different solar system, and is able to look and see Vulcan exploding. There's just a lot of examples of scale and and kind of logic that make no sense. If this something this size had just hit the ship, it would have. You know, just the force okay, of sorry. impact would Back be incredibly. Back to the relationships. But so that that, that, that was driving me crazy. Part of and, Star Trek. But but but, but uh, yeah, and then her whole sacrifice that didn't make any sense. Well, it was very uh, and it, I don't and think sad, it, I don't think it, it makes it, sense. It makes sense it from Anthony's make sense point of view dr- dramatically. dramatically. Uh, you don't, no, it, it doesn't. That, but that's not a dramatic reason. It is it's, a dramatic it's a, reason it's a, it's a dra- in that sacrifice is a very key issue it, 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 in, in it war. Is, but and but the, not we her, her circumstance. Her reason for being there was was we had an actor that we have made familiar <laughs> throughout the and and who ha- is like you know a larger presence than one of the bridge people that we could have sacrificed well, there's hundreds it's, of people I, on that's that what ship I mean. there, there's Some not of a them dra- work in engineering. there's not a dramatic one of those guys. there's not a dramatic like integrated story reason for her to make yeah there was no reason why it had to be and, and the yet, most senior officer on the ship she, as opposed to any and, uh, engineer and also her, she real, has no relationship wait, wait. with number 1 the, but the only so but the other reason, than that they're two women so but the reason that it was this was that she volunteered and knowing who pike is and knowing who cornwall is would they say okay somebody's got to die uh you they wouldn't do that. That's not the people that they are. It's not the Starfleet way. It's just Actually, it would it not is have absolutely been... the Starfleet way. Well, if you're an admiral, you know, I mean, they, they show there's a whole next generation episode about this. You order people to your death. You're an admiral. You are literally more important. We don't that like is to think point. of things like that, though. We don't like to think of it that way. We like to think I, that. I, it's... I think the she did the actor did a great job of of making this the scene work. <laughs> Um, but uh, it, I didn't think it made any sense in t- in terms of her story well, or, right. or, it, or it's like a compelling relationship. To it's people. a compelling scene that doesn't make sense. That has a good dramatic reason. It's kind of like you know they they get two out of three things right, but that one the kind of you know the the, the logic of the bomb and et cetera pulls people out of the episode, and so some people don't mm. feel the emotional you know feel the beat because. All you had to do is just make it make more sense. You know, I mean, the ultimate version is the Spock. Everyone's trying to recreate and no one ever pulls it off. Spock sacrificing himself to reinitialize the warp drive by, you know, sticking the glove into the thing that does the thing. And that seemed right. to make sense. There's like, no a one lot was like, of personal no sacrifice. Other way. That, you know? well, but it's not something that I feel like we haven't really seen a lot of on Discovery, which is the idea of personal sacrifice and how important that is just to Starfleet and the Starfleet value system that I kind of broke teeth on first in TNG. I feel like we don't see it too, too much in DS9, but there's a lot of it in Voyager. And this was a nice, I thought it was a nice moment of that. Like, I kind of think they painted it with a brush and there were some execution issues but I do like seeing that attitude and that value show up on Discovery. I almost wish it I mean it would have been Burnham that would have made dramatic sense because she starts the whole series by making this horrible sacrifice and that's a huge mistake so this would have kind of been a great way for her to like repair that mistake but the the, the whole uh, the, the other thing that I never really figured out is what are they trying to do <laughs> with 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 uh, the the uh, control and how you know the 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 previous episodes like they can't make the di- discovery 
do, they abandon the discovery and try to destroy it, but they can't destroy it because the control is controlling the discovery. Well, it's like the data itself. The, 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 the control is. Control allows the whole crew to then go back on the discovery, and then they can control it. Uh, I mean, I guess well, it's like that the sphere data it, itself was protecting itself. The idea was that it was like it knew you. They couldn't destroy it yeah, because the that, data I itself. Think, was, I, I think that didn't have anything to do with right. control. Right, Jeff's Jeff's. Control had no control of the discovery. It was the sphere data. There's essentially two AIs at work here. Yeah. There's control. Walk, walk our audience through this whole okay. issue so let, with let's, let's, let's zoom out. What the let's story. zoom out. <laughs> everything, and I'm not saying this makes sense, but the, everything, the goal of control, the this artificial intelligence um, that was created by Section 31 is it... It wants to achieve full consciousness so that it can then take its next step of eradicating all sentient life in the galaxy. But take and over the world! It believes, for whatever reason, <laughs> that this ancient uh, reposit of, of information in this database from the sphere that the Discovery found in episode 205, I forget, um, is its magic bullet. It, and so Next that becomes that becomes the MacGuffin. So they've tried to destroy it. They've tried to destroy the ship. They tried to they try different things, and they 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 come to realize the only they can't remove the database from the Discovery's computer. They can't let Control get to the database. So the only solution they come up with is to move the ship into the future. So the entire battle is to protect the ship long enough for for, it for Burnham but, but, to move the ship into the future. Wait, so but what are they trying to do in the previous episode where they fire on the Discovery and try to they, destroy they, it? They thought that they could destroy, if they destroyed the Discovery, the Sphere data would go with it. But the, the Sphere data took control of the Discovery and wouldn't, you know, yeah. wouldn't Protect let... it itself, essentially. Now, now, here's but, my point of view, is the USS Enterprise, even if the Discovery was using all the functionality of the discovery, even if the sphere data can control the discovery, the US Enterprise should still be able to destroy it with a complete volley of this and that. But they decided, for whatever reason, that the Enterprise couldn't destroy the discovery because the discovery was now defending itself because the sphere data was defending it. And so therefore, I mean, this. this it, 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 I'm not saying it makes sense. What I don't sense. understand then is why can't the discovery re not allow the crew to go back on, or basically no, no. not allow the crew to, to control the discovery the, the, once the, the, they get the sphere on board. Data, the sphere data is like a. It's like a weird pet on board the ship that acts out, but it doesn't hate the crew. Control hate. But but if it if the crew is doing basically doing stuff with the discovery that's going to, uh, it doesn't mind going that, into the future. It doesn't care of going. It, 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 okay. it doesn't want to be destroyed. <laughs> it doesn't want to be deleted. But it's it's. Okay it doesn't with, make sense. But but it's the, okay with going into the future. I I mean yeah. in terms of the idea of them going making the decision to go into the the future. I mean I that I thought that was an exciting. Um, Choice and the, and this this um, you know you talked about how the, you know they apparently made the decision to do this when they started this season. It's Before weird, they yeah. It's weird how this season has been this kind of um, you know fan service to an extent that it, it, like they took 
seem to try to take every criticism of the show and solve it by saying, you know, okay, we're going to make this about a beloved original you know uh, series character we're going to address kind of all the inconsistencies and and questions that you had about why you know why this is fair. or isn't star I mean, trek uh, but you but then an audience while right, we're still give the Klingons hair, challenging and, but then you 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 know say in, instead uh, it, it just kind of in a way it reinforces the arguments that that fans had because it's like this show doesn't start with its its own vision, uh, or it has its own vision. It gets criticized, then it goes to another vision. Like it's basically this kind of embrace of a lot of story elements from the original series. I mean, it's then a it journey goes to of a third, uh, basically a third show. It's it's still <laughs> it, it, Michael it's like, Burnham's journey, though. It, it, it they is, have it stayed is. true to the, that. It they is, they and, haven't and, yeah, caved the, to the, fan. I think that the, they did a great job with her relationship with Spock, and that was one of the questions yeah, that, that really fans had. It's incredibly dynamic and incredible rich in terms of its relationships and and the yeah. journey that our hero goes through. So I, I mean I think in, in service to that, there's been so much but, but isn't challenge Jeff's, that's it, been fulfilled. Jeff's point is that there was a bit of a tissue reaction to the first season of the show. And the second season, what they tried to do is inject all sorts of little things to get people to accept it as part of the 23rd century say okay part of we now canon fit without more. we're not gonna we're gonna show canon. you ways that we or, fit yeah. that, that, that we're gonna make the Klingons look right we're gonna make the tone different we're gonna make we're gonna change this character we're gonna change that character we're gonna make it all work better for you so that by the time you're at the end of the season you're like, okay <laughs> and, we accept you and, it's okay you could stay and they're like oh yeah and, we're and now you like now that you like that we're <laughs> well, gonna completely going, change the entire format of the show just, I don't know if it's changing the format but it is, uh, Are you kidding? They're going to be. It's. I mean, they're going to be in a totally different future. They're going to be they all still, alone. They still have the relationships, though, and that's yeah. really what Trek is about. They still have their identities and their sure. relationships. So the, wherever you go, there you are. It's like if you move somewhere, you're still the same person. Yeah, sure. The character dynamics are going to be similar or different, but uh, the the premise of the it. We don't know what the premise of the show is. And that's part of what's so know. exciting. Yeah, that's kind of... I'm both excited and scared for season three, if only because I love the fact that they like they have this huge blank canvas now, and I'm really excited to explore the 32nd century and see what's survived and see kind of um, how Roddenberry's vision, so to speak, holds up for a millennia and see kind of like just the evolution of humanity, if any at all. That said, that's also there's a lot of room to succeed, but there's a lot of room to fail. And I'm worried that these people are basically going to be defining a new era of Star Trek. And I don't know that I totally trust them. You know, as Sinequa said, being able to have, you know, incredible reign uh, over the next season of the show, the, the future is unknown completely while still having the fiber of, of canon, which, I mean... Uh, there, there has been enough nod to the original series to where they're, you know, they're they're staying true to a lot of the elements of it. Even letting us know, you know, what happened with Pike, and it'll be interesting to see when that plays out. You know, that that was a very interesting thing that they did at the end. I, I don't know if we're jumping around, but it it I think that created a lot of confusion for people where they end the, where. 
the show has the the episode is kind of two episodes, right? Where you've they go through the they go through the portal. The discovery goes through the wormhole, right? And then there's fifteen minutes like this coda, and we and what they were trying to do with that is saying, look, here's how discovery fits with the original series where, you know, they were in this epic battle together and then these characters go on and the Enterprise will go on and Spock is going to look for this cool guy, which Burnham told him to look for, which we know is supposed to be Kirk. Mm. And that it's all part of one thing. And they were desperately, that's a bad word. They were showing us this linkage. But what they did is they spent so much time in the Enterprise and Pike and Spock with his you know, shaving off his beard and everything looked great. And they didn't show us the discovery again. And I think some people walked away thing. So discovery ended and this new show started like the original series again? And, 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 and part two. They, yeah. they, they, they tried so hard to link us to the original series that they forgot what show they And it almost reminds me of what Brandon Braga did with the season finale of Enterprise in that he wanted to create a quote-unquote, um, what did he call it, like a love letter to the fans to show it all fit together. But he right. kind of did a disservice to Enterprise by trying to do a service to the other shows. And I feel like they were so desperate to show us all this original series hoo that they forgot. And they could have done this in three seconds, whereas at the end when Spock is looks at that little thing, they could have zoomed in. And they should have shown us that the Discovery survived, because we know it did, because otherwise, what's the point? Floating in space, maybe it's just circling a planet, maybe it's again, you know, maybe it's like up against the Borg cube, who knows what it is. But just something to make us, it's like they wanted to create a who shot JR moment, but they forgot to shoot JR. And, you know, they should have shown us. They should have ended the show on the Discovery. Maybe not in the Discovery, but just show us that they made it. Remind us this is what it's about. The new show, the ship in the future, yada yada. It seemed like the whole point and of that yet. was to uh, uh, have Spock say, oh, well, here's why you're never going to hear any mention of the Discovery or, or you know, Spock's sister. Because, because I, they all I agreed told never that, to say yeah. anything. <laughs> they're, they're all, all going to keep right. the secret. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. You know what? you got to give swear. the writers a break here. They're, they're creating something new. They weren't around in the 60s to set up Burnham. They weren't around. It, it just didn't happen that way. They painted themselves into a corner, They and they, they, they kind of just splashed some paint on yeah. the floor and ran through that fine. It's there's, better than their other be choice. There's got to be some willing well, dis- suspension of, di- of disbelief. There, you know, give them a break. They're creating something new for us. They and it's, it's been it's a really unstable ride. Yeah. It's been a really unstable ride to get to this point. I mean, there have been 1,500 showrunners. It's like everybody has something to say about Star Trek and people. And they're actually listening to some fans when they're like ma- making enough noise. And I feel they like are. I think season three, ironically, like relating to other Star Trek, season three might be where we really see it hit a stride because we have Michelle Paradise, one person who's co-sharing with Alex Kurtzman. Right. That's they're going to hang and out I, for a little while and rest with that. And 
presumably the revolving door has stopped revolving and hopefully that added stability will let the show yeah. like find a premise really lock into it and start stay telling with it for a whole season stay with it for a whole and season I and would... stop trying to fan and like now they don't have these like stop trying to fan service as well as tell a good story like just like Aaron, tell a good story Aaron Harberts was all into this science versus faith thing which was obviously dropped halfway through certainly by the time he was kicked out the door so you know the, the, and, and the first season was all going to be it, the shows always started with premises and then abandoned them because they lost their showrunners and they and so this will be the vision of Alex Kurtzman and Michelle Paradise for the third season and I have a lot of faith faith you know and, and hope that yeah we'll get something cohesive whatever it is and I'm going to be very I'm very open minded to that absolutely but there yeah. is there's certainly an element of these first two seasons were established interesting characters but abandoned their premise. Well, and yet the premise lies in the relationships, doesn't it? I mean, we've we've wrapped up. Let's talk a little bit about the relationships that we've explored through the first two seasons and particularly in the second season. I mean, with certainly Burnham and Spock, Burnham and her mom. I mean, there have been so many really poignant moms. <laughs> Moms, right. Three moms. Uh, three moms. Um, but so many poignant moments that really I think the, that the audience can relate to that really do comprise what the themes of Trek are, you know, family and bravery and loyalty and risk. And um, the idea that everyone like really embraced the idea of going a millennia into the future and like took time, wrote letters to their loved ones. They're like, hi, you're never going to see me again. I got to go on this great adventure. It was like on, on the one hand. Yeah. Like on the one hand, I was... Um, I was kind of tickled by it because we rarely do get, we haven't really seen on Discovery, like why people enter Starfleet, why people join, because they want to boldly go and explore something completely, completely different. But on the other hand, I was also like laughing a little hysterically that this entire ship of people was like, cool, we'll just abandon all of my life and all of my relationships off the, off the ship to go maybe to a future that is 100% questionable because we don't know anything about it. So it was kind of a balancing act of those feelings. But I did really like, I like how everyone embraced that destiny. I think that's something that we haven't they seen in a while. embraced it. And, and the element of new family, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, astronauts take risks when they go up. They don't know if they'll ever see the family back home before, but they do it in service of their dreams. Mm -hmm. So... But back to these relationships. I mean, can you walk us through, Alexandra, some of the more poignant relationships that uphold the ideals of Star Trek that really are what Trek is about that this season has, has brought us? I think Saru, um, Saru and Burnham's relationship has always been kind of curious to me and interesting. And I also liked Saru's relationship with Pike and how these two got like you would have been super easy to write a subplot where these guys are butting heads because of their egos and like general dick swinging but they didn't which i think is a very star trek thing like these people yeah. were just like all right this is a little weird and things are a little bit tense because i kind of want your job but pike is at some point like pike is very gentle and such a good leader that he can kind of massage that massage that relationship and saru is not a child so it's really not it's not really an issue, and they kind of we see them learn from each other. Yeah, great examples really... of of leadership. Uh, I, think. I yeah. think the relationship between Tilly and Stamets was is another strong. It has always been strong. Took a little bit of a hit in the second half of the season because Spock's took up so much oxygen, but 
you know, I think the, that's one of the better relationships of the show. Yeah. Jet Reno and Stamets' relationship. Oh, God, she's as well. so great. Like, yes. I'm hard pressed to say like anything negative about Tig Notaro ever, but. Looks like she there, made it to the. I know. But I way, really want her to be a regular. She's so sassy. I was hoping isn't there'd she? be. She, yeah. And she just, calls Tyler, what does she call him, Loverboy? Or, I, mean, so, I don't even like, remember. But in the, in the first episode of the two parter, they made this huge deal where she was going to be alone in this room with the unshielded crystal being powered by the spore drive and it was going to drive her and it was going to quote unquote make her head explode and then in episode two she's like it's fine i'm fine bye and it's like what like why did we have this big dramatic moment scene where stamets and her had a kind of a heartfelt goodbye moment Mm. and then like literally 10 minutes later she's like whatever because I was hoping they did something with that. Like maybe the time crystal gave her some like superpower or made her into the star child or, you know, do something like integrated her into the computer and the computer becomes snarky or, you know, I mean, just something, you know, <laughs> but great. they. Uh, that would have been so awesome. They yeah. just kind of. If um, she's just the voice of the computer next season. I'm on board. I just we can't get enough taking a turn. That's my POV. Really. <laughs> but um, Jeff, you're looking like you want to chime well, in here. Uh, I mean, I think that the most successful relationships um, of the season were basically, you know, uh, Burnham and Spock and and Burnham, Spock and their parents. Um, And but that's not part of the show <laughs> technically but it it's is a, Star it, Trek it, has it always is. been about it, it relationships and, uh, uh, but it's obviously it's not going to be part of the third season of the right, show because they're not going to be there that's okay um, so yeah I mean it's nice I think we got that a little goodbye tour of that too yeah I mean I, I think the show yeah. took I mean it, it was a successful detour but uh, you know again it, it was uh, a detour from a lot of its premise it was audacious and and i guess um you know it's funny because uh the original concept for the show was that it was going to be an anthology and then it seemed like oh well the anthology aspect is we're going to have a different captain every year which was a, a kind of a cool idea mm. very defense um, against the but dark now arts. we can't really Wait, do that chime because in again with your, uh, oh i just said very defense against the dark arts from harry potter so yeah yeah was the rotating oh, yeah. position Right. Not quite as deadly I mean, a job, there is but... a, It's certainly a possibility right. that you know, one of the open questions about the third season is, okay, so if the MacGuffin was the Sphere Data, you get to the future. Now the ship is in the future. The Sphere Data is in the future. Control's been neutralized. Everyone on board now, you know, mission accomplished. Um, now what is stopping any one of them from trying to get back home because even if the ship and the time and the red angel suit can't time travel again it's the 20 it's the 32nd century you know time travel is available at the local 711 by that point there are literal time cops yeah and starfleet <laughs> you know right, yeah. right, right where there were and 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 daniels talks about temporal discriminators being available in his high school or whatever so <laughs> so uh, they why don't they just come back? Now, the reason they don't come back is because of story, because of production reasons. But it does, so is the third is the third season about them trying to come back, or do they do they have a reason to stay, or are we actually going to get to Brian Fuller's idea of, you know, maybe the ship jumps to the to another century, to the twenty fourth century, or the twenty thirty, you know, or 
you know, maybe maybe they will do a thing where every season they 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 skip to a new era. You know, one that, of the in a kind of a Doctor Who visiting right. time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just excited for them to use the spore drive again. I feel like now that they're going to be in the future, they'll actually be able to lean into that because people won't be bemoaning the fact that we've never seen the spore drive before in Trek history. Um, so I'm just hoping they get to take that out for a little what, bit more of a spin. And I'm hoping that there are consequences to people deciding on a moment's notice to leave behind their entire lives, presumably forever. Like, I hope we get what we didn't get. I'm hoping for a rougher version of Voyager yeah, where like they're in danger because they don't have the infrastructure or the support of the Federation and they're in completely brand new territory. That's kind of my fear is that, that, I mean, that's Very good really point, what the, the whole idea of putting the ship out in the middle of nowhere without assuming without the Federation is t- a little too similar to Voyager for me, but the the one you know I probably like said enough uh, arguments against Alex Kurtzman, but w- one of the things I do really appreciate about Alex Kurtzman's kind of shepherdship of all this is um, that he has a great sense for the epic, uh, yeah. and that's what uh, uh, Voyager was always missing to me. It just yeah. turned into another version of Next Generation. Kurtzman does have a great sense of the epic plus the personal, I think. Yeah. And he always, you can always count on him to imbue something with poignancy and relatability. You know, there's been so much in terms of family and also fun. I mean, one of Kurtzman's signatures is just making it fun. And you've mm-hmm. got to keep that in order to stay engaged with so many characters over a period and, of time. And, uh, I think he's brilliant. I, I, I think going into that premise thing, Let's say that there's a fully fledged 32nd century federation. This ship would be a museum piece when it shows up, even if it does have a spore drive. You know, it it can't just join the federation. They would say, "Thank you, pull it into space dock, and you know, let's give you a new ship and let's All train like you on vertically flying three nacelled enterprises of the future." Well, yes. yeah. So, so which is why I think that wherever and, they end up, they aren't going to have the infrastructure. They're, the federation will probably be either fallen or changed or something because because otherwise yeah. they will there's sh- you know it's and interestingly speaking of gene roddenberry this this kind of becomes the premise of a uh bad 90s um sorry to fans of the show but the kevin sorbo led oh, right, yeah. gene roddenberry's andromeda i was trying to think of what mm. isn't there a version and of it's, this idea that, and it's basically yeah, yeah. a ship right. from the past um was lost in a black hole, comes out of a black hole after 500 years or whatever. The galaxy has fallen. It was part of a Federation-like entity. Now it's the most advanced ship around because things have essentially gone into a sort of dark ages of lawlessness. And they, you know, this ragtag group of, uh, you know, people try to, he tries to reform his Federation. I think it's called the Conf... I forget what it was called. It doesn't matter. It's a terrible show. Um, Got it. Okay. Snow well, Hercules, the legendary journeys. I mean, I mean, I, I, actually, sorry, because I know that the people, some of the people listening to this, wrote for the show or fans of the show. It was extremely low budget, and they were never able to. It's not a bad. We premise. love you, Robert Hewitt Wolf and Zach Stentz. Yeah. Yes. They, they absolutely. Just was... They couldn't fulfill the vision that they had with the money that they had. Right. Maybe Discovery will. Be will fulfill Gene Roddenberry's vision of Andromeda, right? In you know, with the millions that they have on hand, they certainly have a much bigger budget now. Yes. <laughs> so um, we have just a couple minutes before we close. Um, I know this is a really general question, but I just, in terms of this retrospective for uh, 
for season two, what what were your favorite moments? One or two just really things that really stuck out for you. And if there is a way to relate that to what could happen in season three, tell me. I was absolutely shocked at how engaged I was with Ash Tyler at the end. Like, that was the biggest twist of the season for me. It was like, oh, you're really interesting now that we're leaving you in the past. Um, and with the whole Klingon thing that he is now speaking Klingon again. And that was just, wow. Yep. I don't even, yep. <laughs> um, Sorry. I, no, 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 that's fine. I just lost my train of thought. Um, I really... I've enjoyed watching Giorgio kind of begrudgingly show some more affection for Michael, and I'm kind of intrigued by their relationship also as to like how she's going to make it back to the 23rd century to presumably lead this Section 31 show. Um, and I like the fact that they're giving Section 31 an arc, which I think is something that you said um, at our WonderCon panel, which is that you know it's one thing in the era of Enterprise, it's another thing in DS9 and in this kind of middling it just got a completely different flavor and it's kind of neat to see the evolution of that so that's what I've been enjoying mm. yeah yeah really good stuff um, I mean there's a lot of I loved about I, second season was more cinematic mm. and uh, you know visually and and epic as Jeff was saying obviously they, they changed the way the, sh- the show was shot they literally changed the you know ratio um and Alex set a good tone in the season opener, and then the other directors followed through. Um, I, you know, they took a risk with bringing Spock in. I thought they did a good job with that. Peck was great. Um, you know, Enterprise Bridge, obviously shipborne. Everyone loved that, and the exteriors. That was gorgeous. Um, the visit to Talos Four was fantastic. Um, very yeah. respectful. Um, yeah. You know, sure the. You know, you could point at this and that, but I thought it was really good. Especially I, I, the scene between Vina and like Melissa George and Anson Mount on great, the on yeah. the ship was absolutely. Like, I was so well done, so tender, and you could really see. Oh yeah, you could feel the energy between them. It was palpable, which I think is so difficult to execute in such a short time, especially for a story that not everybody watching has a point of reference for. And uh, Burnham's arc, I thought, was excellently well done, not just with the Spock thing, just everything she went through. And Sonequa Martin-Green really, I think she deserves at least an Emmy nomination. All the amount of stuff that they throw at her, you know, you could joke like she's crying, but the the action scenes, the emotional scenes, um, you know, all the, you know, the thing is because she's the center of the universe in the show, she has to do so many different things in such rapid fashion mm-hmm. and she's really led the show well i just think yeah. if you know some other actors in that role just couldn't pull it off i mean you Brilliant know, there's actress. a lot of great actors but she, you know if you were watching the walking dead and you told and you, you know you may not have known the range that she has yeah. and even though that was a good show is yeah. you know yeah. was a good show um and she was good on it she's just really you know and obviously you know everybody loves pike so you know, yeah. uh, especially when it just came out of nowhere, the amount of popularity this guy has earned. Like, it's incredible to me that like, we used to live in a pikeless world. Captain Pike. There was yeah, a time before well, it was announced Captain Pike. Just, well, so I've always wonderful. loved the first and read dreamy. with Pike, too. And I thought he was dreamy. great, but a very different type of character, father figure character. Yeah. You know, he yeah. did what he had to do in those movies yeah. and he was great. But uh, yeah, this I think that was the to me the big accomplishment of this season was like creating a whole life for that character and and you know creating a, a whole reason for that 
character to be a pivotal, you know, iconic Star Trek character, which he always was, but just because he appeared in that pilot episode. And they, they fleshed out that story uh, so it really has a lot of dramatic power now, and it's it's one of the great Star Trek stories. That's a huge yeah. accomplishment, and uh, you know I I agree about uh, Sonequa Martin Green. She's fantastic. I, I still feel that that all of that potential has yet to be it, it, even given the incredible amount of stuff she's done on the show. I feel like she has a lot more to give. I'm hoping to see that next season. I think it really stems out of who Sinequa is. She's a lovely human being and yeah. such a leader of her cast. I mean, that first name on the call sheet really sets the tone of, you know, what's going to happen and how the cast is going to feel about it. And oh. the security of the cast and everyone feeling like they have a place at the table. And I, Sinequa really establishes that. I w- almost wonder if that wasn't something she picked up on The Walking Dead from Andy Lincoln, because to a man, that is exactly what everyone said about him, was yeah. that he was a phenomenal leader of that cast. How and could it yeah. not? She Can walked off that. Yeah. She said, yeah. you're going to be in charge of this. And she's already you know, a very spiritual person. And, yeah. You know, so, yeah, that, really that's a very a good in- insight that mm-hmm. she probably did. Yeah. And everyone, you know, every behind the scenes you talk about, everyone says, oh, she sets the tone. She's made it a family. She immediately greets everyone, feels, you know, because when you come into a show as a recurring character, especially if you join in another season like Anson and those, and she immediately makes them feel welcome. And that helps them as actors. So I think she really is leading the show both on and off screen in an amazing way. Uh, She's super warm and per- like I did roundtables with her at New York Comic Con, yeah. and she like made it a point to look every single journalist in the eye and shake our hands. And I was just like, "You poor baby, you've had to do this so many times today." She, she is a she lovely nev- human. She never says and anything. Think- she never. <laughs> I mean, as a news person, you know, when I, whenever we talk to her, or she does one of these events. I always wanted to say something that creates news, and she just says nice things. Very, you know, it's but it's all very, you know. It's all very nice, but she never, but, but it's never powerful. gives you a good juicy, you know, like, oh, but, my God. You know, you she know, can only say so three. much, but she's only allowed to say so much. And no, what no, she no, says. The spoiler police are out there, but yeah. she's, she's not good for, you know, I always want her to just kind of. Is that part not great of her for job, baby? Just, she's no you know, Jonathan you gotta, Frakes. You got to stay tuned. <laughs> well, no talking out of school. But, yeah, she's an incredible human being, and I think that shows on screen and everything she does in the incredibly wide range. I definitely think she deserves an Emmy. Frankly, just an Emmy, just not even a nomination. I don't think there's a better actress doing this I kind would, of work on television. Well, I, think, yeah, I, mean, I mean, you know, obviously. I mean, there's a lot, but but it's time that. Killing Eve, you know, you've got a lot of competition. Sure, there's great people. There's great people. But Star Trek you know, deserves Emmys, and I think Star Trek, it would be great if Sinequa got like, I, Star Trek's first acting Emmy. Even I'm still bitter about. Um, uh, Leonard Nimoy um, got a Best Supporting Actor in the first year. Oh, I didn't realize didn't that. He? No, he Jeff? got a nomination. Nomination. Yeah, yeah. nobody's. Um, I, I'm still bitter ago. that Patrick Stewart wasn't nominated for his work in um, that season, the Four Lights episode, which yeah. just which totally we will fell discuss my head. in our in our other episode uh, on Patrick and Star Trek Picard. Uh, Doug Jones always is turning in fantastic work. I appreciate his sensitivity so much, and he's also one of those people that really is so wonderful to be around as a human. Um, I, I've gotten to work with Doug, and his energy creates for good work on a set. Um, I agree that the the combination of Melissa George and uh, the work on Telos 4 was beautiful, just giving my own personal uh, rundown. I also really loved Poe and the connection to Runaway. I really did. I, mm. I, I thought that Yadira Guevara Pripp's work was, was just lovely and a, just a kind of a breath of fresh air. 
Um, yeah, I really didn't care for that short no. trek initially, but I loved her. I loved her turn on disco. Like it was, it was strange. Like I, that was the sh- that was the short trek that I was sort of like take or leave it. But um, I, I really think that we can't see on. Harry Mudd again now. We're I'm going so oh, broken hearted about well, right? Uh, come on, I how is just... he not going to show up on the Section Thirty One show? Are you Ugh. kidding? Yeah, of course yeah. he's going to show up. And uh, please I, I, show up in the future. I'm fine with that too. And. Uh, Burnham's mom, Burnham's real mom. I mean, I do really love oh, yeah. what uh, what Amanda. I, I love I, I love the character of Amanda, but Burnham's mother is just. I loved that dynamic and that whole appearance by her and the work. Um, she could easily be part of the third season. Yeah, I she could be a series regular. Yeah, like there's no like she's presumably on Terra Lysium, which is where they're going. And I can't imagine they wouldn't if Sonia Son returns, they wouldn't want to explore yeah. that relationship because it was so fraught and so interesting. Sonia Son is a brilliant actress. And George O is now on the ship as well. And there, there was this like weird like jealousy between no, the I'm two the women. No, and, I'm the mom. No, I'm the mom. I loved yeah. how like Sonia Son was one of the few like Gabrielle Burnham was one of the few people who didn't even who's never even blinked at George O. She is so completely and utterly unimpressed by her. In ter- like the mirror universe version, um, and I feel like tr- I like seeing that kind of dynamic in scenes with Giorgio because usually she's just like miles ahead of everyone else. Yeah, but um, Sonia Stone is such a good character. I mean, she, Burnham's mom is And she's literally a... seen it all. Like, yeah, she's like the mirror universe doesn't scare me. Like you're kicky and your leather. Yeah, goodness will prevail. Who's going to be uh, standard? The big question is who's going to be tenet. captain? I mean, they they obviously they left it open in a weird way though. I don't hmm. want it to be Michael, though. I feel like there's there's like a rumor going on. But I like the fact that if she's... you were if, if you were an admiral and you were sending a ship to a distant shore mm-hmm. in the future, you would you would promote someone <laughs> to full captain, and you would say you are not acting captain; you're captain because you they're not going to have the infrastructure there. So right. so they left that open for a reason. Ah, good catch. Good good. Uh... I I kind of hope that it's my money's on Saru. But probably, uh, yeah. probably. Yeah. I adore him. I hope so. But uh, any last thoughts? We've got to wrap it up. You guys, you guys, good. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Well, thank you, Alexandra, Anthony, and Jeff for joining us, and thank you to our audience. Always a pleasure to have you here. Um, we will be back in the fall with all Disco Night episodes as we discuss Star Trek Picard, and we preview the new season of Discovery. If you're a Star Trek fan, you can listen to Inglorious Trexperts every Saturday wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, also this summer, don't miss the new season of Dean Devlin's The Outpost on The CW, as well as Mark Altman's new science fiction series, Pandora, which is debuting on The CW this summer, along with a special podcast preview, Unboxing Pandora, which is going to be this June, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this podcast, which I'm sure you did, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, and you can follow us at Disco Nights Pod on Twitter or at Inglorious Trexperts on Instagram. You are at ALX August. All right. Anthony? Uh, TrekMovie.com. All right. Uh, I'm just on Facebook. Just on Facebook, Jeff Bond. I am at Chase Masterson. Uh, We hope to see you online. And we want to finally say a very special thanks to Bill Ritter, Dean Devlin, Mark Altman, and everyone here at Electric Surge Networks. Keep boldly going until the fall. And don't forget, Disco Lives!
This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.